We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Trying to get some podcasts in right now. I don't know when you guys are listening, but I got a little bit of a, what I would like to refer to as a well-earned vacation coming up. Nick, who never takes vacation, doesn't know what the word vacation means, apparently. Guy's just going to work through it. I mean, I told him yesterday as I was grinding through some of this Wanda Robinson tape, I'm like, man... How the hell are you this far ahead on the film? Like, he's already done Robinson, Azudu. He's, like, watched a decent amount of even, like, Micah McFadden. I'm like, this shit takes me hours to go through these games. Like, I got through two games in, in what was, like, almost a full day, and I just had a slow day at work, so I was able to do it. I'm like, I have no idea how the hell you have any time. And then he's like, well, I'm not exactly sleeping much these days. And I was like, well, I get it now. But. He deserves a vacation. He's not going to take one. I am. Next week, I'm headed. Actually, tomorrow, I'm headed out. But I'm still going to work. We're still going to do the pod from there, and I'm working during the days. But just going to be a little bit of relaxing time in Florida for a week. And then I'm headed out to a bachelor party in New Orleans for a week. And that will be probably the end of me on this podcast for a little bit. So we're going to hopefully <laughs> get some in for a while because I don't foresee podcasts happening those days. And I've already checked out and taken off from work and taken off from work those days. You know what? It's earned, though, baby. Come on. We just got through a, 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 an incredible draft season. So I, I'm hoping you take some time, to, too, Nick. you have anything coming up? I do have a couple things coming up at the end of May. I have a bachelor party in Nashville that I will be heading to. And I'm also headed to San Diego for one of Diana's friend's weddings. And I've always wanted to go to San Diego. And I was in the Marines, and they have a base right there. And I still never made it out there. I wasn't stationed out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing San Diego. Yeah, that's awesome. San Diego is amazing. I was only there a while ago when I was 13 years old on like a tennis tour thing. Um, and 
just incredible. What always stood out to me, and I'll never forget, is their malls are open. They don't have ceilings. They don't have roofs on their malls. So it's just like, God damn, your weather's so good, you don't even need to put roofs on your malls. But today, what we're going to do here, we're going to start by just diving into the Eagles. And we'll do a draft grade for the Eagles, but we're also going to do a full dive into what they did. Because they did so much from a philosophical standpoint, from a 30,000-foot view standpoint, on both sides of the ball. And just overall, with when it comes to trading up for their first-round pick and trading their other first-round pick for a bona fide player, they then re-signed to a massive contract. There's a lot to talk about here. So we're going to start there with Justin Eagles pod. As we've heard from every GM who's walked through the door and every coach who's walked through the door for the Giants over the last decade, and there's been quite a few of them because we've been a bad team, you have to build out with your division in mind. And you have to consider when you're building out your roster that you're going to be playing these teams two times a year, every year, and you're going to be competing against them for an automatic berth into the playoffs. And so with that said, we wanted to get a feel for how these teams are building out, what they did in the 2022 NFL draft, what that means for 2022 for these teams, what that means for 2023 for these teams, and so on and so forth. So without further ado, let's start with their day one, where they did two things. One, they traded one of their first round picks for A.J. Brown. Two, they used their first round pick on Jordan Davis. Where do you want to start there? What what comes to your mind first of those two of those two decisions? So I think it's interesting, and I want to talk philosophically for yeah. a second because obviously trading to get A.J. Brown, that's huge, and I guess we'll start there. They also traded up to get Jordan Davis, right? and that just speaks to Howie Roseman, man, because Philadelphia, they have a bunch of draft capital, but they knew the pieces that they wanted to fix this roster and make their team even more competitive. Look, Devonta Smith, he's excellent, but when you land a star player like A.J. Brown and then immediately sign him to what? Was it a four-year $100 million deal or something like that with $57 million guaranteed, which honestly right now in the receiver market isn't too out of control. I mean, $100 million is a lot, but a lot of these receivers, if I'm not mistaken, are getting a lot more than just $57 million guaranteed. That's going to unlock this offense, man. That is a true playmaker that they landed. And then I really think Jordan Davis is going to be a pivotal part of what they want to do, not just on early downs, but also on later downs as well. Yeah, I want to start. Uh, let's start with... Well, both moves are interesting. So especially given what we've talked about and preached on this podcast and, and uh, from a philosophical level. And I like that we like to go big picture a lot here. I think it offers something else, in my opinion, than what you can than what you can get in some places. So I want to start big picture with the A.J. Brown trade. On the surface, it's like, well, is this even really a win for the Eagles? Like, yes, I understand his price was discounted because the Titans put themselves into just an albatross of a salary cap situation by extending Derrick Henry and making it seem like Ryan Tannehill, who had quote unquote been this, what, what I've heard to be the ceiling of Daniel Jones could be Ryan Tannehill. Well, now they want to get out of that contract. It appears or it's holding them back from making decisions like re-signing AJ Brown. With that said, with the Eagles making this trade, they're giving up a draft pick which was ultimately used on a player who some people compare to A.J. Brown. I don't really see the full similarities. I don't really see much of the similarities between uh, Traylon Burks and A.J. Brown, but I've heard the comparison, whatever. They give up that pick. They give up the rookie contract that comes along with Burks. And in doing so, like you said, Nick, they have to guarantee in a lot, a lot of salary cap space to a wide receiver position, which is becoming a position that all teams are just firing salary cap space. And it's funny, Nick, because every deal that passes like this new one for AJ Brown, 
it starts to make that Kenny Galladay deal look like an even bigger, an, like not an even bigger value, an actual potential value. Like it was viewed last year after last season as the worst contract. I can't believe the Giants did it. I always said, be patient, wait until he gets competent quarterback play and better offensive line and better play calling. I think Galladay is going to have a pretty big year for the Giants. And ultimately, we're going to keep him next year, the year after this, and be like, wow, I guess that wasn't too bad of a value. Because if you look across the NFL to get an X like this, a six foot four guy who can move like this, it's impossible. Or you have to pay him like you just paid A.J. Brown. And now, obviously, Brown is younger, so I want to keep that in mind. But what were your thoughts on kind of just how this deal and how the recent wide receiver deals impacted the Giants holding uh, at, with, the, with Galladay as a current asset? With Galladay as a current asset, I think it's I think it's an interesting way to look at it. Now, I feel like the Giants kind of outbid themselves for Kenny Galladay. That was kind of a rumor that was floated around, and I'll take it at face value, which you don't love. And I also want to kind of preface this. As much as I do like Kenny Galladay, he's not A.J. Brown. He's not Tyreek Hill. Right. He's not Devontae Adams. He's not a top-level kind of receiver. And I think this all kind of started with DeAndre Hopkins, who was just ironically suspended for six games when he kind of – forced his way out of Houston, ended up going to the Cardinals and then getting an extension. And then it just kind of spilled into this offseason where you had Packers trade Devontae Adams. You had Tyreek Hill going to Miami because they looked around the landscape and saw Christian Kirk get this huge freaking deal, right? And then everybody who was up to get paid, all of these elite wide receivers were like, hey, I've earned that kind of money too. It's my time to get paid. And the teams, respect the teams that had him, weren't willing to pay him. So they traded him. That's kind of what we saw here with A.J. Brown. But I think going maybe like a year down the road, if Kenny Galladay can revert back to the healthy Kenny Galladay we saw with the Detroit Lions when Matt Stafford was heaving him the football, I think you do have somewhat of a value. Now, the Giants were about a year ahead of schedule, and I don't think they were necessarily wise in offering that deal, saying, well, it'll be a value later because of X, Y, and Z. I think it just kind of happened by happenstance. But I'm hoping that we do look at it in that light, Dan, where we're like, okay, well, it's actually not that bad of a contract right now. But I'm not going to necessarily give the previous regime a break because I don't think they saw all this happening. No, they definitely didn't foresee it happening. I'm not giving them a break either. They, It's not a rumor. They literally bid against themselves. There was no one in the market for Kenny Galladay based on some of his injury concerns. His, his, his further advanced agent you would have expected for someone coming off a rookie deal because he entered the NFL old. And based on their quote-unquote off-field concerns, which I don't think have really spilled over whatsoever. But, you know, some people didn't love his effort last year. I think the biggest thing for Galladay last year is he got hurt really early in the season. You saw him come up on a play. He'd missed some games when he came back. I don't think he was ever himself. I think that was the biggest factor in addition to bad ball placement across the board. People just not taking quarterbacks, just not taking chances to throw him back shoulders until, until finally we saw one with Mike Glennon, like 16, 13 weeks into the season, the first back shoulder ball. I mean, there's a couple in the red zone that were shit at the poorly thrown, like, but like there wasn't much and there wasn't really a concerted effort to get him the ball downfield. In my opinion, a couple, a couple throws here and there that missed, but ultimately I still think there's a ceiling for him within this offense that hasn't been realized. And I still think back to what we watched last offseason, Nick, that got us so excited last March. And that was the film of the Detroit Lions. And the traits that we saw on tape with the Lions are still available. Like, they're still there in this player if he's fully healthy. And those traits are, are something that, no, in my opinion, no one has on this roster. One thing with Galladay is he's not a fast, he's not a burner, 
but he has a long strider. And I've started to really appreciate ever since uh, Greg Cosell put this on my radar. I started to really appreciate what these long striders can do and how they chew up ground in such a short period of time. I saw it when I watched Watson's tape, Christian Watson. I saw it when I watched Saquon Thornton. And I've seen this with Galladay in the past. It, It makes you more of a vertical threat than your 40 time will tell you. And it also allows you to kind of create more, in my opinion, on those in-breaking routes. I still think Galladay can be a really big winner on the in-breakers, too. And that's important, too, for this offense. Like you said yesterday or on the podcast recently, I don't remember when, Nick, there's going to be one-on-ones now for Galladay with both Tony and Robinson on the field taking away defensive attention. And that's good because we expected that last year. It never came to fruition or it just wasn't attempted often. But he's still a player who can win in those ways. So in speaking to A.J. Brown, to me, I think this was a big win for the Eagles. I know a lot of people have argued against that, Nick. But for me, if you look at what the Eagles have done in the draft, they've taken a lot of swings at the wide receiver position. Jalen Rager, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. And it goes back before that. And they've been all misses. And they've had a really difficult time scouting and locating that position. This takes all of that guesswork out of it. I think a lot of the times when we harp on just the idea of, well, You're giving up a pick that's four years under rookie contract control. That's amazing. There's obviously, and in my opinion, I agree, there's a bigger ceiling to keeping the pick and drafting Traylon Burks because Traylon Burks could potentially become a receiver like A.J. Brown, and then you have him under team control cheap. But A, those deals seem to not last anymore. These receivers are demanding new contracts in like year two or three these days. And B, That's projection, and that may never come to fruition. There's tons of busts in the draft every year, even on day one. What you have in A.J. Brown is a 24-year-old bona fide ex-receiver who, in my opinion, is a mismatch all over the field, has incredible burst, has size, strength at the point of attack, is a really special receiver, and he's realized this is not a guesswork for them. They're not taking a chance like they did on Jalen Rager or J.J. Arthagowitz. And I know Arthagowitz was a second-round pick, but even so, it was a bad job by them in the scouting department. Hey, Dan, are you saying – sorry to cut you off, but are you saying – Ortega Whiteside's name a bunch of times just because you know you're pronouncing it correctly with the Spanish <laughs> accent. No, I actually just you know I I don't like putting a Spanish accent on things because it always feels disingenuine. But I thought I just think I know it as Ortega Whiteside. I, Ortega, I think it's Ortega, right? It's Ortega. Yeah, it, it's okay. it looks like to to Americans it would be Arcega with the C, but it, you pronounce that with the th. That's like when I, you know, in Barcelona, it's like uh, either to pronounce it Barcelona, ah, Barcelona, or like uh, there's like another pronunciation. I know people in Barcelona have like two different ways of speaking, and it's like a big talking point there, the two different accents. Someone who knows more, just come come back and let me know if you know about this. If you've heard, if I'm making this up or not, please let me know. I'm pretty sure in the past I've heard about this two accent thing in Barcelona where there's like different versions of, of people are saying it differently, whatever. Point being, They're getting a realized asset in A.J. Brown. There's no guesswork, and he's going to help them right away. There's no there's no transition time. There's no you know, he doesn't need to, you know, learn a route tree. There's no he doesn't need to learn the system. I mean, he needs to learn the Eagle system. That's a stupid thing to say, but he knows he's already been playing within the NFL. He's got we, we know what he is. And so for that reason, I do think the trade is a win for him. I think he's worth more than that at 24 years old. I really do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Which is funny, too, because when we talk a lot about process, and when you look at this at face value, it's like, oh, that's not a great process necessarily, but I think it's an excellent process. Yes, you're giving up the rookie contract, as you said, but we've made fun of the Eagles and Howie Roseman for a year for just pouring these assets into wide receivers, and it just not necessarily working for them. And I like Devonta Smith. I think he can be a good receiver, but now he's your number two to right. one of the, what, a top six receiver, it could be argued, at least potentially, and he's still under 25 years old, and all you gave up was the 18th pick and the 101st pick in the draft yes you have to pay him understood got it but now that big issue you had is fixed so it, it sucks I feel like for the rest of the NFC East but I appreciate Howie Roseman being like we're in a win now mode we want to win right now we might not have our quarterback but we're going to give him a damn chance to win and you know what we have a lot of veterans in place they're solid and we probably have another good year out of Jason Kelsey and players like that Let's go for it. And they have a realistic shot to take the NFC East this year, which sucks. And now, like you said, they are going to get a better grasp and idea of whether or not Hertz can be their guy to fit within that system before next year when they, what, have two first-round picks again because they traded back with they, – they collected New Orleans for next year, correct? So they're going to have their own and New Orleans for next year. And so then they're going to be in that same predicament potentially as the Giants looking for a quarterback, but they're going to have more ammo to do something about it potentially. We'll see how that goes. See if the quarterback, how the quarterback class ends up shaking out. I think it's obviously important to factor in this time last year, Spencer Rattler was supposed to be the number one overall pick. Sam Howell was supposed to go number two overall. So clearly things can change on the quarterback front, but I do feel like what the Eagles did here is going to make things difficult for the Giants. We go into these Eagles games now with Devontae Smith on the outside. Yeah, I can be feel pretty okay putting a Dory Jackson on him. Who the hell are we going to match up against A.J. Brown? Like, if James Bradbury is still here, great. 
I feel like he can do a decent job on Brown just based on, you know, the, the, the profile that Brown is though. I think, you know, if Brown runs go routes, it's going to even be a problem for Bradbury, but if Bradbury has gone and that's the expectation right now, based on the cap concerns um, and the giants needing to sign this rookie class, well then who the hell is going to match up? Because if you're telling me Aaron Robinson or Darnay Holmes on either of those two, Dory oh, Jackson on the other, you're going to have a problem with the one that you have Aaron Robinson with, with his highest ceiling as we, you know, we're both big fans of Aaron Robinson on this podcast. We're not seeing him as this elite shutdown island guy. And that's basically the only people who can match up with these guys one-on-one. And you also got to think about it from this standpoint. How is the Giants defense going to play the Eagles when they align A.J. Brown outside? A lot of times you're going to want to kind of roll coverage in his direction, keep a safety over the top to take pressure off of the cornerback that's covering A.J. Brown. Well, now you got to worry about Devonta Smith underneath. You got to worry about Devonta Smith on the other side. Maybe you got to worry about Devonta Smith next to him, but that's not even discussing the biggest threat when it comes to Philadelphia's offense, which is the fact that they have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL with a quarterback who is exceptional at running the football. I mean, we spoke glowingly after the two Giants-Eagles games about Nick Sirianni's ability to develop a diverse rushing attack. You're still going to have to worry about that, and you're not going to necessarily be able to play too high all that often because you need to account for the extra man in Jalen Hurts and that just potent rushing attack in general. So that's it, it's going to be kind of a nightmare to scheme against this offense if A.J. Brown is clicking and the rapport hits and he's healthy. It's, it's not necessarily great. I completely agree. This is going to be really difficult to scheme against, though. I think ultimately the Giants are going to choose to do it one way, and that's going to be just relentless pressure try to, you know, put, you know, move Hertz off the spot, get Hertz rattled. The problem is the Eagles have a pretty solid offensive line. It's further, way further along than where the Giants is at. Maybe long-term it's not as high upside as the Giants because they do have Neil and Thomas. But right now with where that offensive line is at, you feel a lot more comfortable that the Eagles will will have a, be able to match, you know, a high-pressure, aggressive game plan. And if it goes the wrong way, now you're looking at a situation like you said, Nick, where you got one-on-ones on the outside with Brown or Smith and maybe not the cornerbacks who can who can match up to, to take in, to take it away. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. I mean, they, they definitely got stronger. They definitely got stronger. So that's uh, problematic. I think the Giants got stronger, though, too. So let's not get too negative here. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, for sure. It's fine. And we're, we're talking 2020. We're talking short term. We're not, you know, yeah. there's also a long term scope that we're not getting into here. And that's. Are the, is this team even really a threat with Jalen Hurts at quarterback? And that's something we're going to find out this year. To be completely honest, they they may be not they may be you know last year's Titans as far as you know you can have a really good regular season, but once you get to the playoffs, your quarterback's still Ryan Tannehill or your quarterback's still Jalen Hurts, and you don't really have any kind of ceiling that you have to worry about. That still can. And also, I want to throw one more thing out there. I will say this as far as like how to play this team. The Giants had a lot of success playing the Eagles in single high last year. Obviously, that really nice uh, interception by McKinney came from a look that was like that where they rotated to that and just before the snap. And and you know what? I still feel like there's still a lot Jalen Hurts needs to prove before I worry too much about the wide receiver matchups versus the cornerback matchups. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say specifically because a way a lot of defenses did beat Jalen Hurts, and that's why there's so much pressure on Jalen Hurts, is they just said, all right, we're going to load the box, throw against us. Throw against us and beat us that way. And yeah, they didn't have A.J. Brown at that time, but Jalen Hurts was also pretty inaccurate a lot of different times when he was thrown to guys like Jalen Rager. But then at that same time, Jalen Rager was dropping footballs that could win yeah. football games like he did against the New York Giants. So A.J. Brown will definitely alleviate a lot of pressure for Jalen Hurts, but he still needs to make those big clutch throws in big-time situations, and that's yet to be proven. 
Yeah, you're right. You're 100% right about that. Let's talk about the second thing they did. So on the surface, this goes against what we say and we think for sure on this podcast, trading up for an interior defensive lineman. But I think that despite all that, I came away like I can't really kill this move for the Eagles for one key reason. I listened to Ben Solak, who obviously, you know him, Nick, and he's one of the better draft analysts out there as far as I'm concerned from the ringer. And the way he talked about this pick from a schematic standpoint, it's like it got me thinking, like, I get it now, because what the Eagles want to do with this coordinator is run two high looks the entire time and just run cover two, cover three, or cover, you know, cover two, cover three, cover four type looks the entire time. Never have middle of the field close with the safety. And so you need one of these types of guys, a Fletcher Cox or what they're hoping will be their next Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis at six foot six, three forty, who has the most insane combine ever for anyone who's three forty. You need somebody like that in the middle of your defense. If you want to run those kinds of looks, it's the only way you're going to be able to get the job done. And I think that's why they traded up for this player. They felt like he was the only one in this class who made sense in that role. They probably looked at the kid from UConn was ultimately drafted by the Ravens, which is no surprise. Like the Ravens would get him and he was drafted later. Right. What was he drafting? Like the third round, the kid. from, Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember some people like, Oh, he might go around 36 to the giants or something like that. Like there's no shot. This kid is ever going in the top 50, in my opinion, the way the NFL drafts IDLs, but they may have looked at it. Like that kid does not compare at all to what Davis can do for us from a schematic standpoint. And we need to get Davis in the system. Now, if we want to be able to run our system, to, to the maximum capability. And there's no one in this class like that. And obviously free agency has gone. There was no one they could find in free agency like that. That's long gone anyway. So for that, from that standpoint, from the schematic standpoint, I feel like it makes sense for them now, but I think this is ultimately a pick. They may end up regretting in the long term. That's kind of how I view this. Not by pick. I mean, the whole decision to trade assets and to move up for a player like this on the IDL. Because remember, he didn't play a lot of snaps at Georgia. There were issues of him kind of being like, there was issues of, you know, why didn't he play those snaps? Well, because he's gassed and he's not able to play those snaps. And I feel like there's there's a little more risk in this profile than people are giving it credit for overall. So they traded the 15th pick a fourth and two fives to move up. And who did they jump to get? Jordan Davis. They jumped the Baltimore Ravens. So I guess they had a pretty strong inclination that the Ravens were going to go in this direction. And look, one of the main defenses that is just proliferating around the NFL because it's a way to stop explosive plays is too high defensive looks. And I'm not just talking about, you know, your traditional country cover two. It's a lot of, you know, cover four, cover four match type principles. We saw Brandon Staley do that really well as the head coach for the Chargers. And he utilized that same scheme when he was the defensive coordinator for the Rams. And he invites the run. And we saw how he could, the Chargers could not stop the run against the Raiders in that final game of the season that put the Raiders in the playoffs over the Chargers. So the Chargers really needed a defensive lineman to clog those inside gaps because they love to play that too high to prevent explosive plays, to force everything underneath so their talented defenders can rally and tackle. And Jonathan Gannon is going to look to do that same thing, too high, prevent explosive plays. And now I have Jordan Davis in the middle, not to mention I have Javon Hargrave. I have still Fletcher Cox for another year. They can keep these guys in a deep rotation and keep them fresh and so they're not out there playing, you know, 40 snaps a game. I'm not really 100% certain how many snaps Jordan Davis is going to play. I think that's something I'm definitely going to be monitoring. One thing I do know, though, that guy is a load to block. And it's going to be just a shitstorm for the New York Giants to move this guy off the spot. And if they're able to play those two high looks 
and eliminate explosive plays, Dan. You also have a second-level defender we're going to be talking about if he's healthy a little bit later on who can now rally and tackle well and kind of keep the construct of this defense in order. I, I don't know. I, I I look at this. They, they got the guy that they wanted. I don't hate it traditionally. You don't want to spend top assets on an interior defensive lineman. But like I said before, they viewed him as a person who's going to allow their defense to really, really compete this year. And they're in. They're in for 2022, and I respect that. Yeah, I'm honestly just like based on your breakdown and my breakdown and what we've thought about and talked about off pod, I'm more nervous about the Eagles defense than their offense this year, especially, you know, given what you said about the guy who's going to play behind him. But when it comes down to this, that style of defense that you talked about is really exciting. I'm sorry, not really exciting, really popular right now in the NFL because it's working. The worst stretch of Josh Allen's career post-breakout was last year when teams were playing this against him. The worst stretch of Patrick Mahomes' career was last year when teams were playing this exclusively against him. They figured it out, both of them, and they started to get back on track. It's not like a be-all, end-all, but it's a really good way to take away explosive plays, like you said, which is the name of the game. Once you take away the explosive plays, now you're like relied on to run the ball. And like you said, a, one of the best coordinators in the NFL, in my opinion, right now is Staley because he is inviting the run. I think it's genius. Invite the run. The run can't kill you. You can't, you really can't get killed by the run. And and obviously the Chargers feel a little differently because they went out and did some things to kind of help them, just like the Eagles did in this situation. But just think of it like this. How Nick broke it down at the end, I think, is the best way to think about it. You have Jordan Davis in the middle in a rotation with Hargrave and Fletcher Cox. You can afford to play those looks like with two, with two high safeties and take or like you said, all different kinds of cover two, cover three, cover four to take away explosive plays. And it's like, all right, well maybe we can run the ball then. Well, maybe not. Right. Like you said, it's going to be really difficult for John Feliciano or Mark Lewinsky or whoever ends up playing left guard for the giants. And this will be the case for several teams around the NFL, especially the ones that eat that quote unquote have good centers, but they're like the Linderbaum types or like the, the Hennessy types, like the undersized ones. They might just ruin the run play right away, the Jordan Davises and the Hargrave next to each other, and then Gobi Dean coming in behind them to clean it up. That's it. Then it's like, okay, well, we had the run. The box looked advantageous. They're trying to do everything they can to take away an explosive pass play. Ah, crap. Our run went for one or two yards because these guys just can't get – we can't block these guys with our interior offensive linemen. And that becomes like the biggest concern to me right now with the Eagles. They could become one of the better defenses in the NFL against the teams that don't have strong interior offensive lines to match them. Yeah, you're just trying to steal gaps on defense. And when you have someone like Jordan Davis who can occupy multiple gaps or at least play a gap and a half, it's not like these teams don't want interior. They, they need these types of big space-eating interior defensive linemen to occupy space and not just occupy space. I don't think Jordan Davis is necessarily just that. He's somebody who has upfield burst. He wasn't used too often at Georgia in pass as a pass rusher, but I think with his athletic profile and the – play strength that he does show I think he has some upside in that area too so you can also use him in that manner when you have those two high that means you're not going to have another player in the box so you're inviting the run you're saying hey look there's only you know we have a four guy box right here run on us we have a five guy box run on us but you have Jordan Davis there who is going to occupy two blockers who's going to eat up space who's going to take those gaps away from the offense post snap and then they run the football and it's like a one yard gain, a two yard gain. You're positioning your defense in a much better light than what the opposing offense is going to be in. Your offense is going to be in, you know, second and eight. And then what happens? Incomplete pass or whatever. And then they're in a third and long. So 
that's the the thought process behind getting these big space eating type of dudes. But again, I don't even think Jordan Davis is just that. And that's why he's kind no. of born to throw that term around, even though it's so widely used. But it <laughs> when you when you test like that, you have a unicorn type of skill set. And Jordan Davis, man, I mean, he's setting records out there in terms of combine performance at what? What do you what do you show up at? 341 pounds at the combine. He's probably gonna play at like 350, though. And that's one thing I will say. He has to keep his weight in check, bro. That, that's something that could get him in trouble. Yeah, there's risk within this profile. It's the weight in check. It's the fact that he didn't play a lot of snaps at the collegiate level. And it's the fact that he may not be everything he's supposed to be as a pass rusher, which they're hoping is a rejection-based thing. And I, But, you know, like you said, this isn't like, you know, people always said, oh, well, Dexter Lawrence, when we took him at 17 overall, he moves like nobody should move at his size. This is like times 10 when it comes to Jordan Davis. Six foot six, 341 with a 97 percentile 40-yard dash. That he somehow ran at 478 at 341 pounds, which I don't even understand how it's physically possible, Nick, but apparently is. And he did a 123-inch broad jump, 99th percentile to show explosion. Like you said, that upfield explosion that he has. 80th percentile vert jump, 83rd percentile 10-yard split, 93rd percentile hand side hand size, weight, weight and height, 98th, 95th percentile, obviously. Wingspan, arm length, all over 75th percentile. I mean, this is a next level type of Dexter Lawrence. This is much better than what that can be. And obviously the Eagles felt that way too. They felt they needed to trade up for him. And ultimately, defensively, I think this team is set up really well and I'm really nervous about that. I'm less nervous about the offense despite getting a bona fide star in A.J. Brown versus, you know, a draft pick like Davis we don't know about just because it still does rely on quarterback play. And I'm not I'm not sold on. Obviously, I'm not sold on uh, Hertz. But let's get to day two here with the Eagles, because I thought they did really well in day two, which is disappointing for the Giants as well, Nick, because obviously they only had two picks in day two. But they started with a guy who we talked about a little bit in the pre-draft process. Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska. Again, this is a team that gets it. They go and they rebuild the trenches, even when it's a pretty big strength for them right now on both sides of the ball, interior defensive line, you know, finally starting to get old Fletcher Cox. What do they do? They go and get Davis offensive line, finally starting to get a little older. They're going to lose Kelsey soon. Not yet. They're going to lose. They, they lost Brooks already. Their best, their best interior offensive lineman over the last three or four or five years, whatever it was. So what do they do? They replenish it with Jurgens. And so what are your thoughts on Jurgens as a player here? Is he someone I'm curious just because he was taken a little bit before um, maybe 15 picks. It looks like before Azudu. how would you compare those two players? And, and what are your thoughts on Jurgens to the Eagles? So I love the fact that the Eagles have a succession plan here for Jason Kelsey and Jason Kelsey. He said, Cam Jurgens is the most Jason Kelsey like prospect that I've ever seen. Like Jason Kelsey wow. said that like, yeah, he just glowed about Cam Jurgens. So you know Kelsey's going to take this kid under his wing. In terms of Azudu, I mean, they're they're totally different types of players. Jurgens is a former tight end who transitioned to center and started playing center, I think, after his freshman year at Nebraska. And you could see all the movement skills in the world. Like, he is an exceptional athlete. I think Azudu is a very, very good athlete, too. And Azudu is a little bit, I want to say, I think he's a little bit bigger because Jurgens went to the combat at 303, but I think he played maybe a little bit lighter yeah, like than that. 90. Yeah, so he he has excellent range. A lot of people were like, yeah, he's like the poor man's uh, Tyler Linderbaum. I think Linderbaum's still a better run blocker, but I think the sky is the limit for someone like Jurgens. whereas he's a center. 
Azudu is a guard. He's a tackle. Azudu doesn't have any snaps at center. So I never really even thought about like comparing those two. Yeah, that's fine. That's fair. I thought I saw something about the Eagles potentially moving Jergens to the, to the uh, guard spot, but I, I guess that's not in their plans now that they've now, now they've kind of come out and said like, they're going to groom him to be Kelsey's uh, successor. I mean, maybe he can, I don't know who the other guard is other than Landon Dickerson. So that, I think that's interesting. That could certainly happen, but I do think Cam Jurgens was drafted to be the long-term yeah. center because Azudu has much more, a much better play strength, in my opinion, much better ability to just move bodies off the line of scrimmage. Whereas I think Azudu does a great job climbing up to the second level. I think Cam Jurgens is probably a little bit better with that just because he has more foot speed and more range than someone like Azudu. But I really did like Azudu after I got through his film and we'll do a podcast on him in a little bit. But Cam Jurgens, dude, I, I think this is a, is a smart pick. It's the secession plan to Kelsey and Kelsey was all about it. Kelsey is going to be the best freaking mentor in the world to this kid. And again, Again, Philadelphia, bro, they, they were placed in the trenches and they find good players and they've done it for quite a while. And I think Jurgens will develop into that kind of player as well. And I wonder if they were both on the board, if you would consider you would have considered Jurgens over Zudu just because the Giants also need center, really, unless they're banking on Gates to come back. I don't really see Feliciano as any kind of long term answer there. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't know. You, obviously, you have, I'm sure you've watched so much more Zudu than Jurgens. It's not a fair question to ask you, but just something I'm curious about if the Giants were interested in a player like that, because just thinking about where they're moving in the direction of wanting these move guys on the offensive line with athleticism and the ability to move in space. He seems like somebody who might have been on their radar. So here's my little synopsis on the few games that I saw of Cam Jurgens from like January or February. Jurgens is a small center prospect with excellent movement skills, processing, and he's a solid overall run blocker. He's not a people mover, but he generates good power through the ground to win at the point of attack. He uses his hands well when they're on target to control and steer defenders. Hips effortlessly seal, hinge, and cut defenders' angles off. Jurgens is good in space, takes good angles, and carries solid pop in his hands for a smaller center. He can be a bit more controlled when he's locating in space, and he tends to punch high when he's blocking in base situations but those are correctable errors he should be a great target for the giants <laughs> somewhere late day two early day three he only started playing center in college so there's a lot of room for development and growth yeah so there it is uh, it's interesting i'm curious if, you know we'll never know but he might have been someone on their radar but i think it's a good job by the eagles like you said have a succession plan keep unloading on the offensive line never give up there and then at 83 overall on their second day two pick they took Nicobe Dean, the player who, like Owusu Koromoa from last year, just fell due to injury concerns. And like Aziz Ojolari from last year, just fell due to injury concerns. And I wasn't the biggest fan of Dean. A lot of Giants fans are like, wow, he's not on your target list for 36. I just have some concerns with his size, his ability to translate when he's not operating behind that Georgia defensive line, and his overall athleticism as it translates to the next level. It's all projection-based issues for me. But at 83 overall, with those kind of linebacker instincts and the ability to cover, like you said, I and mean, we've discussed them in the past, quick twitch, just the things that you see, the production, it seems like just a screaming value at 83. Oh, it's the biggest value of the draft, according to the the chart that we went over a few podcasts ago, and according to really anybody <laughs> I've talked to or listened to, and myself. I liked Nicobe Dean for that day, too. I would have picked him at 36 if everything was okay, but I, I completely understand your concerns. It seems like the medicals were a big issue for a lot of teams. I didn't love his film as much as other people did, because he was getting a lot of first-round buzz. I didn't really like any of the linebackers 
film for for the first round. I thought Quay Walker was somebody just kind of bet on upside. But at this point of the draft, dude, it's that's a huge steal. And this is a team that always neglects the linebacker position and does not invest heavy draft capital into the linebacker position. And you're able to get this type of value here in the third round. I mean, good for good for Howie Roseman and the Eagles. And it kind of sucks because selected two picks after Cordell Flott. Flott is always going to be unfairly compared to N'Kobe Dean. And Dean really does progress. I could see two years down the line, Giant fans being like, we could have had N'Kobe Dean. And then the Giants now have to see this guy two times. And according to people who have much more medical information than I do. None of these issues that he possess are chronic. They're all issues that might impact him in year one, but they're not, it's not like a degenerative knee or something like that. So I think that's an interesting note. Yeah, exactly. It's a, similar to what we've, Oh, actually, yeah, you're right. That is different than what, what we had last year with, with Ozizo Jolari. The concern was more long-term than short-term. I think that was the case for Owusu-Koromo. I can't remember. Both end up being great players for the respective teams in year one, the Browns and the Giants. So, I mean, it could easily happen here. And I think, you know, Giants fans might look back on this and be like, what the hell did we miss out on? But keep in mind, he went to, in my opinion, as perfect of a fit as he could have gone to because now he gets to play behind Hargrave. And he gets to play behind Jordan Davis. And he gets to play behind a team that consistently drafts edge guys early and consistently dr- replenishes their interior defensive line with talent and with, with size. And so he needed that, in my opinion. He had it at Georgia, and I think he needed it at the NFL level. And so now he might look even better than he could have looked, in my opinion, Nick, if he went to another team, if that makes any sense. No, nah, it makes a lot of sense, man. So Phoenix is barking right now. That's all right. He wants to be part of the show. One day he'll get his time in the light. But right now, Phoenix, quiet down over there. All yeah, right. seriously, bro. All right, and now we get to day three with the Eagles. And it's so funny because we spoke so much already on just what they did on day one and day two because there's just so much to say for the Eagles from both you know that 30,000-foot view and what they're doing for now and for the short term as well with those three picks that they made and with the trade for AJ Brown, it's just so much that they did to impact their roster moving forward and shape the NFC East. But on day, day three, they come back with two picks and they took a really interesting player at 181. I thought Kansas is Kyron Johnson. He's, I don't know what their plan is for him. Like if they're going to keep him on the edge or if they're going to try to like move him to off ball linebacker within their defense, that might be like, Ooh, the Gannon scheme, the Gannon system, he could fit in in another spot for us. Because I feel like at 6'1", I think he's like 6'1", 235, it's probably going to have the same issues that like Carter Coughlin had when he tried to play edge on the, he's tried to play edge at the NFL level, just doesn't have the length for it or the size for it, to be completely honest, like or the strength and the size for it. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that pick because it's a really interesting one. I think it was unexpected. Yeah, Kyron Johnson. So he went down to the Senior Bowl, and he was one of those combine snubs where a lot of people were like, whoa, really? Because I actually saw him at the Senior Bowl. I'm like, man, this kid's short. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But he was given some issues to Trevor Penning, and he was really getting pressure in the one-on-ones. He is unique because he is so versatile. Now, he's about six foot, 231 pounds. You look at his RAS score, he has just under 33-inch arms, which is pretty solid. So he has that built-in low leverage, but he has solid arm length, ran a 4-4 with a 1-5, 10-yard split, and then a three-cone that was sub-seven. So you look at him athletically, and he's pretty solid. Had the production to back it up. Had 39 pressures, six sacks in the Big 12 as a member of the Kansas Jayhawks. But how is Gannon going to use him? 
you're going to put him at linebacker. You put him at edge, he's a little bit small to be an edge. I feel like he's kind of in that tweener mold. But I listen sometimes to Fran Duffy's Eagles Eye in the Sky podcast, and he was talking about how they Jonathan Gannon likes these type of hybrid players for situational types of roles, and that Kyron really fits that bill. So I took at that at face value because I know Fran Duffy's really plugged in, works for the Philadelphia Eagles. I believe he's like the John Schmelk for them, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's just going to be a rotational pass rusher where they can line him up at linebacker in certain situations, use him in the pressure package, or they can put him on the edge in obvious passing situations and allow him to use his quick first step and his bend to really kind of stress the top of pass rushing arcs. Just be a situational player who will also be a special teamer. I think that's kind of where he's at right now. Yeah, that's fair. And then how about uh, as we move forward to the last pick, Grant Calcaterra? I'll be on Cal- Calcaterra. I'll be honest, this is a player I didn't get a chance to watch much at all. So six foot five, two forty seven at the tight end position. Obviously, a position the Giants selected as well. Anything there that you have on him? Yeah, so Grant Calcaterra, I brought him up on the podcast before the draft because I watched him run some routes, and I thought he was very, very quick in and out of his breaks, and I was kind of surprised by the smooth nature on those intermediate dig routes. It was like literally 90-degree cuts where he was exploding out of them pretty pretty smoothly. So I was like, oh, okay, this guy's interesting. I did a little research into him, and he was somebody who was originally at Oklahoma, and he was at Oklahoma back in 2017 when Baker Mayfield was there. So he's 23 and a half years old. And then I was like, why the heck did he leave Oklahoma? It's a really good program to be. And I realized he had a concussion, really bad concussions. He retired from football and he was going to pursue another career. And he ends up going back. He ends up going to SMU for that final year. So it was only at SMU for one year, 38 catches, 62 targets, 465 yards and four touchdowns. Solid size, not the biggest, not the girthiest type of tight end. And you look at Dallas Goddard, who Philadelphia has. They have the former Buffalo quarterback, Tyree Jackson, I believe his name is, who also sees some snaps. I think Calcaterra can be one of those guys who possibly could crack the roster and just be used in their 12 personnel package, more so as a receiver. But yeah, that's his his. I guess, uh, story and really kind of was defined by being a solid option early on in his career, but then injuries and concussions specifically really hindered him, but he returned to the game and now he's a drafted tight end by the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Interesting story there with Calcaterra. So overall your thoughts on what the Eagles did in this draft and how it shapes them up for, let's say the 2022 season and then beyond. Yeah. I think the Eagles have kind of said it cats out of the bag. I think they're really in for 2022 right now. And I think they really fixed the comical issue that they've had when, by getting A.J. Brown. So this draft is going to be defined by A.J. Brown, by Jordan Davis. And I think Cam Jurgens and N'Kobe Dean are just excellent additions, specifically Dean at that value. They only had five picks, but they're a big winner for me. And I know we'll do a draft later on the biggest winners. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to be one of them. I don't love that fact, but... I feel like their team got significantly better with the draft capital that they had when you include A.J. Brown. And they gave him a contract. I get that. But he's still going to be their biggest offensive weapon that defenses are going to have to try to remove. That combined with the rushing attack of the Eagles is going to be scary. A.J. Brown is going to make the biggest impact of any player acquired on draft night. So he still gets to count. You know, like he's going to make a bigger impact than Drake London. He's going to make a bigger impact than Garrett Wilson. And so on and so forth. There's no quarterbacks in this class, so I think we'll overtake that, including Kenny Pickett, and obviously running back as well. So, and maybe you could say offensive lineman here and offensive lineman there. Not going to make the impact, at least not in year one, 
of AJ Brown, who's bona fide in there, and there's nothing, no guesswork. So I completely agree with you on that. And what scares me the most is that I also think Jordan Davis is going to make such a big impact just because of how he fits that system, just because of how much it helps Nicobe Dean and the players behind him. And ju- again, just it's 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 not great for the Giants fans, but ultimately I can breathe easy at night and and rest easy at night, knowing that they still don't really have it figured out in my mind, passing game wise. And I'm still skeptical of that passing game stringing together four wins in the playoffs or three wins in the playoffs, even if they do put together a really nice regular season. So that's kind of where I'm at with the Eagles overall and then just kind of where I'm at with their draft. But I'm with you. This is this is one of the best drafts. Unfortunately, and I'm in that same spot. I'm not really a huge Jalen Hurts guy, but I also realize that this is somebody who has overcome a lot. and He has the football character, the character off the field. He can improve the accuracy. He's the legs that he has and he also has a receiver now who can really make your inaccurate passes be effective all right nick let's wrap it up what we promised in the seo and the title here give us a draft grade for what the eagles did and obviously include aj brown acquisition yeah i'm not a big fan of draft grades but i understand it's one of the things in the media that we have to do so i'm gonna give them i think an a not an a plus but an a because i think aj brown really fixes their biggest need, which was find a playmaking wide receiver who's not going to suck. And Jordan Davis, I feel like will really allow Jonathan Gannon to do what he wants to do. Cam Jurgens is somebody who can be a secession plan for Kelsey. And then when you land N'Kobe Dean at that value, I mean, come on, that's just excellent. So I'm going to go with a strong A. Yeah, I'm giving him an A as well. Not like you said, not an A plus, not the best draft I've ever seen. I almost went A minus, but the Dean pick kind of put it over the top. I think There's a few teams that could have massive impact players coming from this draft class. The Giants, the Jets, and the Eagles are one of them as well. And yes, I'm including A.J. Brown in that because he deserves to be included. It's like drafting Burks at 18, but you have an already guy who's already definitely going to make an impact. With that and just the fit for, like I said, the scheme for Davis. And then you throw in Dean as just what I think can be really good behind Davis and within that system. It's a really good draft, so I'm giving it an A as well. We're wrapping it up here. We're going to do another podcast doing the Dallas Cowboys and Washington and Washington Commanders. Oh, that's going to take a long time to get down. I really, I so hate that name, Nick. I just, everything about it is so stupid and pathetic and annoying. And I just don't even want to say it. It's so annoying, but that's their name. Apparently it's just a horrific decision. Just be the hogs. You should have just been the Washington hogs. It's so obvious, so easy and such a win. But they went commanders, so I'll try to remember that. But we're going to do a pod on the commanders and, and Cowboys drafts. They're very different than the Eagles. I don't think they were like we, we went into this Eagles one. And we're like, there's just too much to discuss overall with what they did and how much is going to impact them immediately and in the future. So we'll do something on both those other teams. Obviously, the Cowboys won the division. So that's going to be a key team to, to evaluate as well, especially after last year where they just went so defense heavy. Um, and so it was a little bit of a change from that. And they're kind of replenishing now on offense. So keep it locked and loaded here on the Big Blue Banter podcast. We'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.